it's green. Yeah. Yes. It's a fun green. It's a tropical it's a, green. It's a teal. Is this a tropical story? No. Oh. Not at all. Hello and welcome to Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Rachel. I'm Joe. I'm Clinton. And this is the podcast where we discuss two tales of murder and mayhem and decide where a killer lies on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. See, you were nervous. I was nervous. That was pretty good. It was. It's starting to just come to me. Was it? <gasps> How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> and yes, it was. The shade of it all. Yeah. So today we have uh, another glorious brunch this one feels like a, a more traditional brunch to me. Got, a little bit more, yeah. Yeah, we got eggs and sausage and fried chicken with some pound cake and cheesecake. <laughs> you you totally glanced over the biscuits. Biscuits, biscuits. Some buttermilk biscuits for yeah. the chicken nuggets. So I'm sorry, what are they called again? So buttermilk biscuits. Buttermilk biscuits. <laughs> Thanks. I heard Blanche. that twang. <laughs> But yeah, we get the biscuit, and then you put some chicken on it, and some uh, maple syrup. I almost said gravy, but we don't have gravy. Maple gravy. Maple gravy, and it's delicious. Mm -hmm. It's not quite chicken and waffles, so I expect that next time. (laughs) And then we have our our yogurt with honey and berries. It is very good. It is very good. Always. And you can pretend that it's healthy. Absolutely. Uh, And then for our cocktail today, Joe has created it. Or found it, I, I should say. found it, I yeah. don't preach. <laughs> and it is called, or no, we're not doing the title yet. Well, I could tell you the title, but. Do you want to just talk about what's in it? Okay. Okay. So it's double vodka, blue curacao, orange juice, and lemonade. Oh, that sounds great. And it is a wonderful electric blue-green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that tastes exactly how you think it would taste. Yep. It's uh, light and refreshing, and should I put the lime in it? No. Oh, it's not a coconut. <laughs> True. It is a garnish. Oh, okay. I, I come from the, the world of thinking that if there is food in front of me, I should be eating it. I mean, you absolutely could, I but could. it would offset the flavor profile. Right, and it would make it look disastrously <laughs> awful. So the, the lime really makes the picture of it. So the title of the drink, we won't get into it at this very moment... Bye! (laughs) Please keep that in. (laughs) We had someone exiting our studio. (laughs) Holla Jenny. All right. Okay. Um, The the title of the... She doesn't listen. So? Do you think I do any of this for anybody who (laughs) listens? (laughs) The name of the drink is called The Golem. Oh. Are you doing Golem? No. Oh. Yes. <laughs> oh, you're so Look. gullible. What is that like? There's a lot of murderers in Lord of the Rings. Like, you didn't have to do it. You could have just done the Gollum drink and then focused on, I don't know, who else? Anybody? Smog. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about Samwise Gamgee like, today. <laughs> I mean, you could. You could pick the heroes and be like, they, they get... Pretty high body count, too. Yeah. No, but Gollum's a good one. Nice choice. Yes. Because today, listeners, if you don't remember, today is our one of our character episodes where we focus on a literary or movie character instead of a real-life murderer. All right. So story number one. The time. A very long time ago. <laughs> the place. Gladden Fields, Middle Earth. Deagle, a store hobbit... Stur, 
S-T-O-O-R. So a store hobbit of the river folk and his cousin Smeagol go fishing in the river and doing. I'm sorry, his name is Dingle? No. Deagle. Deagle. Oh, Deagle. Okay. Deagle and Deagle. Right. That's why I'm like, did you just say Dingle? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dingle. Dingleberry and his cousin. <laughs> oh, I wonder if this will be a great cross of like fans of murder and fans of middle earth. <laughs> just coming together in this episode. What a weird Venn diagram. <laughs> All right. It was Smeagol's birthday. It's me birthday. <laughs> And we have them in the studio. <laughs> Welcome, Smeagol. And while having a perfectly pleasant afternoon, Deagle notices something shining from the riverbed. After investigating, it is discovered to be the One Ring. The minute it is discovered, the magical ring starts doing its stuff and whispering all kinds of nonsense to both Deagle <laughs> and Smeagol about power and such. You know how it goes, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Smeagol demanded it as a birthday present, and with each being influenced by the ring, a fight breaks out, and Smeagol murders Deagle by strangling him. Smeagol then uses the ring to steal, spy on, and pretty much annoy the shit out of all of his friends and family. It is them that start calling him Gollum because of a, quote, horrible swallowing noise in his throat. Can you imagine having a nickname that is based, based on, on like, <laughs> yeah, based on the noise you make? Here comes fart. <laughs> I think we're guilty of doing exactly that. <laughs> to who? To what? Rachel. <laughs> so walks in there. It's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> what up, burp face? <laughs> Okay, so eventually his behavior is so horrible that the matriarch of his family, his grandmother, disowns him and he is exiled. Hey, kudos for doing it on the book, too, instead of just the movie. Oh, yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, thank you. I try. Mm-hmm. Although, talk about, like, good film adaptations. Oh, movies. absolutely. They have done, they did a well, very good job. Well, Lord of the Rings was good. The yeah. Hobbit was shit, and I'm standing by that. <laughs> Aw. Seconded. Ugh. Anyway, the oh no, my good. new my new nickname. Yeah, <laughs> Rachel's new nickname. I roll. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Smeagol is now consumed with paranoia that others will try to steal his precious ring, so he runs away to wander through the wilderness and ultimately lives alone and in the dark under the misty mountains. Here he lives for centuries as the ring has prolonged his life, turning into a gruesome and insane creature. And he seemed to be fated to obscurity, but the ring itself was not okay with that, and finds a chance to escape with an unknowing, adventuring hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. I love the idea (laughs) of the ring just going, I'm bored. (laughs) So uh, once Bilbo takes the ring, Gollum searches for it for the rest of his life. He finally finds it many years later, this time in the possession of Frodo Baggins. Gollum half travels with half stalks Frodo all the way to Mordor. There he takes back the ring and is destroyed along with it in the fires of Mount Doom. Spoiler. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oops, spoilers abound. Interesting thing I learned about the books, right? Mm -hmm. In the first version of The Hobbit, which was written before... Lord of the Rings, as we know. Tolkien never specified what Gollum really looked like. 
like his size or anything like that. So the first illustrations of Gollum are bonkers. Oh, like really? he's giant. He looks like a Dr. Seuss character. And so then Tolkien went back and edited it and he added in a description of Gollum as a small spindly creature that we know. But he's supposed to be black. Like, uh, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like they describe him like, uh, I guess like um, some orcs or something like that think that he's like a giant black squirrel at one point or something like that. And um, then later Tolkien says, oh no, he's very pale, but he wears black clothing. Mm. And so there's all these different renditions of Gollum throughout the... So when I was in middle school, we did The Hobbit as a play. I played Gandalf. And um, <laughs> they... Uh, Name drop. <laughs> and we had a kid play Gollum, obviously. And I just remember we made his costume out of shredded garbage bags. Yeah, he looked like a seaweed creature. Yeah, but he... So, and this was obviously mm. before the movies right. and stuff like that. And before adaptations other than maybe the cartoon was probably out. That cartoon's from the 70s, yeah. so I'm sure. I'm not that old. But we did make him very, like, almost lizardy looking. But yeah, he looked like seaweed because it was all shredded black and green garbage bags. Right, yeah. And in the first version of The Hobbit, he was a little different in that he wasn't as insane mm. and he wasn't as attached to the ring. And so when he gets into the riddle contest with Bilbo, he says that I'll give you the ring if you win. Yeah. And. That's how Bilbo gets the ring. But, the, you know, he wasn't ever supposed to get out of the Misty Mountains, right? But then when Tolkien went back and he revised it, he made it so that Gollum was more far, far gone mentally than prior. And so the reward for winning the contest would be to show Bilbo out of the mountains and never the ring. Right. However, then that original story became the lie that Bilbo tells Gandalf and the dwarves mm -hmm. to justify how he got the ring instead of just saying he's a little dirty thief. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gollum's right thief. on that. That's why Baggins is. <laughs> well, that's why Ian Holm plays it so well when he when he has the ring in, in Lord of the Rings and he's mm -hmm. like, I, I want it, you know, mm -hmm. and he does it in that little like kid voice almost, and I'm like, mm, no, you didn't, you little thief. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's a good one, and that's a very short story. You did you kept very clear to just Gollum story, and I, I admire that. Yeah. After doing it's, Lord Voldemort, I mean, it's very <laughs> it's very hard, especially. I mean, like I, you know, it's like now let's talk about Tom Bombadil. No. <laughs> let's not do that. No let's one, that. no one should talk about Tom Bombadil. <laughs> True. So we're As, gonna need a body count okay. and motives and all of those kinds of things. All right. Yeah. So this is who he he killed. He didn't really kill very many people at right. all. He killed Deagle, mm -hmm. right? And that was, I guess, the influence of the ring. Not paranoia, but uh, greed. Yeah. Greed, okay? Um, then he he's killed random goblins, but that was as a food source because okay. he lived off of cave fish and then any goblins that would wander too far from the pack. Then he tried to kill, well, he planned to kill and eat Bilbo. But, of course, that wasn't successful. So attempted murder. Yeah. And then he tried to strangle Samwise Gamgee when he was discovered following them. Mm -hmm. And then he also stalked and tried to kill Frodo. Right. But that's really all... And he bit off Frodo's finger. He bit off uh, Frodo's finger. But that's really all the physical harm he ever did to anybody. Now, he was a little... Scheming 
so and so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, even scheming, he didn't do a very good job because he could not get out of his own brain, you know? But, right. Like the whole stuff with Shelob and stuff like that. Like that was an interesting idea, but I guess his plan was always just to go back and see if the ring was laying around after the right. spider had eaten everybody. Or, yeah. I mean, like, like this, that's not a very good idea. That's not this a very good plan. story also is not everything about him because there's also he where he becomes the agent of, of Shiloh the spider because he after trying to find Bilbo he goes all the way to Mordor finds Shiloh starts working for her and then like comes all the way back to the Misty or not Misty Mountains he actually went to the dwarf um mines mm-hmm. um and but in the interim he gets captured by orcs and taken to the white tower and tortured for right. information which is how they know about the baggins family and uh well and that's general, actually so, that's yeah. an interesting part to a story you would i mean you could definitely say Gollum was traumatized at various points in his life true but he did not murder because of trauma when he was traumatized no i'm i'm gonna go ahead and start this argument that all of Gollum's decisions are were made by the ring all of his his murderous decisions yeah so every bad decision or every murderous decision and action was as if he was in, under the influence of say a drug or something like right. that or like i mean the equivalent then i guess of schizophrenia yeah it could be something like you could argue that like the the one we did with the guy who was hearing voices and killed his roommate yeah. you know that kind of thing but the thing about i think that is hard for him is that you can't say that he had a mental illness before he killed Deagle. Deagle. Yeah. Because that was a sudden thing. Yeah. By, as far as we could tell in the story, he was a perfectly normal hobbit. I mean, is there any difference between a ring telling you to kill somebody and a dog telling you to kill somebody? No, there isn't. Except for the fact, except for the fact that we have to, we have to factor in the, in the idea that in Middle Earth, that ring did hold actual powers. But also... If a dog tells someone to kill them, it takes a little bit to break them down before it actually happens, because right. that's how mental illness have you know works. But this was an immediate response. Right. Now we are going to attempt to put Gollum on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil, mm-hmm. which is a... tell us about that scale, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a twenty-two category scale ranging from category one. Justifiable homicide. All the way down to category 22. Psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive. The motive need not always be sexual. And lots of little steps in between. So, okay. So we're going to have to comprise our idea based on all of his murders. Because that's what we would normally do. Right. Like, if it was just Deagle, I might say the in the way murder. The in the way In the way of getting the ring. Yeah. Or in the way of possessing this thing that he wanted. Yes. But I'm not sure that's the case for all of these. Obviously, he ate some of them for food. Like, that's not really... Well, so here's another thought, thought that I had, is that if we're, we're saying that the ring has its own almost consciousness, right? And it's, its influence is what causes Smeagol and Go- Gollum to act out the way he does. Then that's almost like a cult member following yes. the, the yes. lead of their ruler or right <laughs> but we're not putting the ring on the scale we're putting smeagol no so. but there is a category that has as a cult leader follower or something cult follower well okay so the cult followers for um jim jones jim jones were level 15 is that is that what it, 
it had decided. We looked this up. Yeah, yeah that was what Dr. Michael Stone had put them at. However, there's another one, and I'm not quite sure which level it is, where it's like people, where is it? Um, willing companions of killers impulse ridden some antisocial trait. Oh, actually, I think that fits really well. Like, I mean, I like the idea of him being a companion to a killer because I do feel like the ring is the responsible one for in these for a lot of these deaths. His dark passenger. Yeah, for reals, right? Like, I mean, I think, but it is a personified killer rather than it is because it's not all in his mind. The ring has. Oh no! It is. Yeah, it is a real is a power. Yes. Murder. So something else to consider then, because I mean, obviously we have to deal with some supernatural and you know, et cetera, stuff here, but. The ring affects different people in different ways. Yes. And you end up with those like Frodo and Bilbo, both who did not become psychotic killing machines while in possession of the ring. Yes. So we can say it has an influence, but perhaps it is acting upon a bit of nature that's already present in those individuals. Sure, but there were moments where Frodo They never showed, killed. They never... They never committed the act, but they also didn't have the ring for centuries. Like Smeagol, within seconds of seeing the ring, kills Deagol. And that's his main murder. That's the murder that it wasn't for self-preservation. It wasn't for because he was starving or anything like that. It was the, That was the most cold-blooded act and crime that he committed. I, I'll wager that the ring does affect people differently, but I think it's a sliding scale. Do I think it would eventually have killed people for that Smeagol ring? Yes, was a have. scheming sociopath before he got the ring. Possibly, but I still believe that the ring would have pushed anyone who owned it to murder. Well, the only reason why it didn't do that to Bilbo is because he didn't use it. Right. But even but, even that last, like, just going to the movie for reference, right? right. When Gandalf tries to take the ring, you, you see that great transformation shot where he's like, Bleh! you know, that right, kind of yeah. thing. I mean, he he would have been willing to kill if he had had the ring longer. If right. he had had possession. He'd had it over 100 years then or something, like, ridiculous. Gandalf had it, like, 600. No, again, I, within right. moments. No, no, no. I understand. I understand. There are obviously, there are parts of, of Smeagol's personality that lends itself. And I think that's what we have to look at. I still think that the ring just has too much percentage. It, it, of it could have amplified all of that. But, but this is why I think it's more like a drug than an actual like cult person leader. telling Gollum. No, uh, giving orders. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, because so the thing is, is that so Gollum or Smeagol when he got it, he used it to terrorize his, his family yeah. and friends. Right, uh, Bilbo used it to get out of trouble. And then he didn't use it very much because Bilbo and Frodo would put it on and be like, oh, this is great. But something inside them, they're like, this feels weird. It's not right. You know, now Gollum never had that problem. He used it left and right and center. Right. And it wasn't until they're like, you know what? Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) You know, that he was like, he was never going to stop. Well, that's and see, this is the like an addiction issue. Well, and and refresh my memory. The stuff that he did to his family and friends, was it just like terrible pranks or did he actually go around like killing their crops or their chickens? They didn't specify, but he, they did say he would, he stole, he he spied on, you know, and he would, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know how you prank a hobbit. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> I mean, like, you steal their afternoon tea. I don't, I don't know. Oh, my lovensies. Yeah. There's too much sugar in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. So, I 
I agree with you. I mean, I think that definitely there there's maybe some tendencies within Gollum's personality that lends itself to to be reactionary. I think his moral compass was already a bit askew when he stumbled upon the ring. But he was not... I I don't want to make this a thought crime kind of issue. You know what I mean? Like, he never committed any crimes before he got the ring. So Well, nothing of note, anyway. He may have still been a thief. Yeah, he may have still been kind of an asshole. All right, so then, so what, so, so, Joe, where would you like to put Gollum? See, this is, I don't have a level that I put on because it was one of those things where it's like, it really depends on how we classify the ring. So let's first evaluate without the ring's influence. Okay. So let's just say that a person did, you know, stumble upon this and then can kill your best friend. Uh, to take treasure from him. Well, then I think it would be the in the way okay. category, or the impulse, the hot headed, the hot headed impulse thing. Because it was it was a thing of anger. Because I want this for a present, right. and they're like, no. And I'm like, well, then I'm gonna kill you. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. But I I do think having the rings influence tips it over to that willing companion one. I think that's more apropos, only because. All of his actions and murdering and stuff like that was to further along the wants of the ring. The ring wanted to be a certain place. The ring wanted to fall into the right hands. Mm-hmm. And so I think Gollum was unwittingly carrying out the ring's plans. And so it's that's true. why I think. There, there is many, many papers written that Gollum had to do the things that he did because he was a cog in the machine of the fate of the ring. Right. Because like it's it's been talked about like his one act of free will was biting Frodo's finger and taking it into Mount Doom with him. Like, that kind of thing. Like, that was the only thing the ring was like, oh, shit, I did not plan for this. Yeah. Right? His whole thing was... His whole thing. Like, the ring has a gender. The ring was to get to Frodo and then take over... Or, I don't... What was to the ring? Get back he to always Mount wanted Doom. to get back to Sauron. He wanted to get back to Sauron. Yeah. yeah. But then... Can you imagine the frustration of, of the ring? ring? <laughs> I mean, like, he's given to man, Right. And then they're going to destroy it. And so the ring's like, shit, you know. And then he gets lost. She gets lost. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. It's a man, all right? <laughs> it gets lost. Mm-hmm. Ends up at, you know, hundreds of, or thousands of years later. Hundreds. Hundreds of years later in the riverbed. So you've been chilling with some fish for so long. Mm-hmm. And then someone finally finds you and you're like, fuck yes, thank you. Take <laughs> me back to Mount Doom. And it's two fucking hobbits who don't go anywhere or do anything. And then when this guy, you know, gets kicked from his community, they're like, okay, cool. Go back to Mount Doom so we can get some shit going on. And then he goes and hides under a mountain for hundreds of years. And you're like, shit, who's picked me up? You know? It was. Actually, I remember reading that being one of the things, like, so the ring can supposedly change sizes and do things right. like that. And that's what it did. It, it slipped itself away from Gollum in the hopes that Bilbo would pick it up and get him the hell out of there. Right. So. But that's not what happened in the book. What do you mean? Like Hobbit. Uh, like Hobbit. Bilbo doesn't find the ring on the ground. In the movie, he does. Like in the movie, it makes it seem like the... I thought he finds it in like Gollum's like nest or something like that. I don't think so. I think it was like he he found it like where Gollum was but it, in the movie it makes it seem like the ring's like I'm fucking out of here and like jumps ship and starts rolling out of the cave right mm-hmm. and that's not what happened I thought it was I, I in the book and again it's been a long time since I've read the mm-hmm. book but I thought he was trying to get out of the mountains himself and he he kind of stumbles into Gollum's nest like where he lives the most or whatever right. and he and he sees something shiny and he picks it up and then he hears Gollum looking for it and he figures out quickly that that's what he wants and he's like no I'm gonna keep this 
and then walks out with it. Well, the last um, riddle mm-hmm. that Bilbo does unwittingly. Oh my, God, my pockets. Yeah, unwittingly because he was actually saying it to himself. Yeah. He was a cheater. Those are not the rules of the riddle game. <laughs> right. And so, and then of course, Gollum took it as a riddle and then went apeshit about it. Yeah. String or nothing. Okay, focus. We're trying to put this <laughs> We're trying right. to put this Actually, down. that's the point. So, so let's, let's, let's go back. Okay. So, um. I think willing companion. I think the ring is too powerful not to, to, to take it out of the equation. I also think that, truthfully, Gollum wasn't evil. In that he tried very, very hard to fight against it. He didn't... There was a part of him who absolutely did not want the ring. Yeah. And when Frodo showed him kindness, he tried to live up to that. Mm-hmm. And he was too far gone, you know? So I don't think he ever did anything... That first one, okay, all right. But he never did anything out of malice. <laughs> Deagle, it's a pass. Deagle was probably shit, too. And I'm, again, that's why I think, I think we have to focus on that moment because it is when he is the least under the influence of the ring. Well, why don't you say this? What, what if he's not under the least influence? What if that is the most? The ring has been found after hundreds of years and it's suddenly full of power and it just pours it all out onto these two hobbits and makes them go crazy. What if it's that case? We don't know. We don't know what the ring was thinking. What if it is that? You know what I mean? So what if it is... I just think, based on the track record afterwards, yes. everyone else who picks it up does mm-hmm. not immediately kill somebody. Because now he's jumping and jiving. He's getting around. He's getting stuff done. This was after a long period of no one moving him out of a riverbed. The ring. <laughs> I think we can safely say Smeagol, though maybe not a sociopath, was certainly not a good person. Agreed. And Agreed. this just amplified... Where would you put him on the scale, Clinton, since Um, you're so argumentative about it? Well, I think the inadequate, rageful psychopaths, some committing multiple murders, just because that inadequacy, like he, because like you mentioned, you know, he he kills the first time, but then he just like, he gets captured and he's tortured and he's all of this kind of stuff. And he like stalks, but he doesn't actually manage to ever get his, like, so. And he can't ever get away from. Yes. the, the, The influence of the ring. Right. So that would be a category 13. Mm. The um, uh, cult members was a 15. Um, and then uh, where was the willing companion? Three. Was a three. I'd give him three. His body count's not that high. So that's pretty low. I think, so I think the difference between three and then 13 is if we... Ten. <laughs> <laughs> Ten is the difference between three and 13. <laughs> Go look it over. <laughs> what do you mean? What's about? category ten? What's what are you that? About? Like, how do you know that right off the cuff? <laughs> no, go ahead. All right, the difference between if we put him in a three or a thirteen, was it? Yeah, 13. thirteen. Okay, <laughs> is do we think the ring has influenced like a drug or influenced like a person? I, I still say three. Because okay. I, because Which, here's so the important thing about three no, you wait. You is wait. it is without yes. psychopathic features. I think I think three. Because let's say Smeagol never found the ring. He would not have gone on to kill people. I think he would have. I don't think he would have. He might have still gone on to be a p- petty thief or something like that. But I think he would have just been a regular little hobbit living in wherever he lived and living his life. I don't think he would have committed any other crimes more dangerous than... Armed robbery. Probably not even armed because they're hobbits. <laughs> so I I think the ring is responsible for Gollum's majority of his actions. Yeah, but okay. Okay. 
But my question still remains, okay? Because you can say... Drug or person. You could say, he wouldn't have never gone that path unless he got into cocaine. Right. Oh, man, a hobbit on coke? Or he not would good. never have gone not good. on that path unless he started hanging out with this guy. Right. Right? So is it cocaine or a guy? Because I think that makes a difference. I say guy. Clinton, what do you think? Cocaine or guy? I think cocaine... I think cocaine too, because I I side with Clinton's argument in that the ring once in possession of someone, depending on who and what they are, like what makes them up or whatever, yeah. they don't necessarily go down a dark path immediately or such a dark path. Not immediately, but inevitably they do. Everyone, there was never a single person who had the ring that did not have some inclination of it's evil. Yeah, it was never a good Frodo offered to give the ring away. And then refused. Multiple times. No, 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 no. Those people refused to take it. No, no, no. When he was in Mount Doom. He offered to give it to Galadriel. He offered to give it to Gandalf. So that is... But when he was in Mount Doom, he would not throw it into the fire. Right, because he was... He was taken over by the ring. But how long was that? Again, that the time frame that it takes is is based on the personality of the of the right. wearer. Exactly. But I don't think I don't think Gollum was evil enough to be. I still think he was. He, his the majority of his actions were decided by the ring. I think the the faster it takes for the ring's influence to tip you over the edge, the more evil you already is because were because of the inside that you hmm. already have. Hmm. So, I'm, so I'm ma- going with that whole he, the ring was bored in the river and was like, I'm going to shoot out power all over the place. I don't, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> He's not a gooey duck. He's like, <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> Nobody knows the true ring. Um, but I, I think that's the thing is that Galadriel knew yeah. in her heart that she wanted power. Yeah. So, But she's like, no. Gandalf did, never wanted power. So he was able to take the ring and give it to somebody else. And it was hard for him, yes. right? Because, you know. the ring would eventually turn him evil. Right, he but he was enough. able to do that. Mm-hmm. Gollum picked it up and was never able to give it away again. So I think, Rachel, you are outvoted on three. Fine. So, then is it killers of people in the way? Is no. it inadequate, rageful psychopath? Yes. I'm agree. Is that 13? That's 13. Because I don't think he is... The 15 psychopathic, cold-blooded... No. Like, I I agree. It is not there. And even when he didn't have the ring, Frodo had the ring. So he is out of it. The ring doesn't want anything to do with him. He still did nasty acts. Well, sure. But, I mean, again, cult leaders get put in jail and their followers still want to get their attention and be loved by them. But we're not not saying that it's a cult leader. We're saying it's cocaine. I'm saying it was a man. (laughs) Yeah. So I would would make that argument. But if we're going with your theory, then I guess the inadequate, but inadequate rageful psychopaths doesn't make sense to me. And I'm standing by that. That's the the hill I die on in Murder Brunch. Ruthlessly self-centered psychopathic schemer? No. It's probably my optimism more than anything else that's saying that Gollum is not... As bad as... Because there were... Like you said, there was moments of goodness. He was trying to be a good oh, person. but he was rageful. Yes. But, I mean, again, I think because of the... Yeah, and you thought Inigo Montoya was justifiable <laughs> homicide. But, but here's the thing. Hey, he's a one. You can't fight that. It's on the books. But the thing about it is, is that everybody who found pity on him and showed him an act of kindness, he tried to murder. Yeah. Because the ring. Yeah, but even when he didn't have the ring. 
Again, but again, I feel like that the influence goes beyond just wearing it in his case because of the length of time he, he had it. Right, because he was having withdrawal symptoms. Yes, because it's like a drug. No, it's, you can have <laughs> withdrawal from from cult. All right, That's so thirteen thing. in the books. Okay, do we want to get back into reality? Or are we hanging out Middle Earth for a little bit longer? I'm going to eat well, this cheesecake. That's, that's going to be up to you as you have our second story. Which is the um, story of Tom Bombadil. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're changing gears completely. This is a very sad story, okay? Sad and unsolved. Sad and unsolved. Okay. All right, so this is our second story. Typically, it's unsolved because we're not putting anybody on the scale. It's just... Um, sad and depressing. Right, just keep your ears open. That's how we like people. to leave you. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is the story of Henry Louis Baltimore Jr. May 30th, 1973, Henry's sister, Laurel Baltimore, goes to visit him at his off-campus apartment. She's offered to type a paper he's written for class, but he doesn't answer the door. So it's the 70s. He hand-wrote it, and then his sister was going to type it up for him, which was nice. His roommates say he's gone to the library and hasn't returned. He lived with three guys, one of those being George Heath, his best friend. Laurel chalks it up to him just being out and about and forgetting that he asked her to do this favor. But the due date of the paper goes by and he has never called her and that's not like him. So she calls their dad and says, I can't find Henry. And they report it to the, the police. At his apartment, he has three roommates, as I mentioned. They have not seen him. His Buick, his keys, his money, his clothes, and his belongings are all left behind in the apartment. He has literally up and disappeared. So let me tell you a little bit about Henry. Henry was a junior at Michigan State University where he was studying social science and music with plans to become a social worker. So he was a real, he was a real good dude. He worked at the library and he joined the band. He was also the first black drum major at a major university. Wow. He was very yeah. talented. I watched this um, short documentary about him and he, they talked about how he like, I'm not going to do this justice, but he would like dance as he, as he led the band and stuff like that. And he was... Just super, super talented. Super amazing. And he's like a, one of the first, like, you see, like, drum lines now. Right, right, right. Yeah, he was, like, one of the first. Yeah. And George, his best friend, he said Henry was always kind, always smiling, just, like, a joy to be around. Everybody loved being his friend. He was just, he lit up a room kind of thing. Which, whenever anybody says that about you in a documentary, you're usually going to end up dead. Uh, yeah. he was the Aren't se- we grateful that we're all just sour bitches <laughs> around here? <laughs> he was the second of eight children. His older sister, Laurel, as I mentioned, was going to was going to MSU as well. She was getting her master's. So these were educated kids, came from a good family. Ooh, um, yeah, eight of them. He had been a Cub Scout and a paper delivery boy, and he was very close to his family. So they were, you know, he was just a good dude. He was just a good dude. In March of 1973, so we're going back a few months, Henry had been robbed. He was home alone when two men entered, tied him to his bed, and pistol whipped him. Wow. They stole $110, a golf bag, some of his clothing, and a watch. He had waited 10 days to report the crime because he was so scared of them coming back to kill him. Roy L. Davis, who was 22, was arrested and charged for armed robbery based on that attack. Davis had visited the apartment a few times prior to the attack. From what I could tell, he was like a friend of one of the other roommates. Or like a like an acquaintance more a friend than anything. Of a friend. Yeah, friend of a friend, and he had come to a couple parties to get high and you know listen to music and shit like that. So he'd been there a couple times, probably casing the place, and then picked a night when he knew Henry would be home alone. At Davis's preliminary hearing, Henry didn't show up, and so he was later fined fifty dollars, and he didn't show up because he was he was scared. Yeah. So two days later, he asked he paid the fine and he asked the police to drop the case, and the prosecutor refused. 
which kind of sounds suspicious as if someone is telling him something maybe that he needs to make it go away or something worse is going to happen maybe one of his roommates claimed that davis came to the apartment on may 24th and threatened harry henry came to the door and and said you know basically if you carry out these charges i'm gonna kill you what did i just say yeah Henry did eventually testify, but he told his family Roy Davis had threatened to kill him and he was terrified. So Henry's obviously, and they talk about how like the stress of this was really causing problems with him. Like he wasn't going to school. He wasn't going to class. He was, he was freaking out. He didn't want to stay in his apartment, things like that. So Henry disappeared two days before Davis's arraignment. Witnesses said they saw Davis knocking on Henry's door the day he disappeared. So all kind of looks towards Davis, right? Police initially thought he went into hiding because he feared Davis. And this is a quote from his brother. The pressure of the court case may have been too much for him to take. He was home the weekend before for Memorial Day, and he said he needed to get someplace by himself to get away from that apartment. But the length of time he was gone and no contact with his family was too suspicious. He would never have left them in the dark. He was speaking to them up to the day he disappeared. So even if he had wanted to get away, he would have told them where he was, you know, his family. But there were some thoughts that Davis knew one of Henry's cousins, like cousin removed kind of, you know, just someone down the Flint, um, the family line who lived in Flint, Michigan. So there were thoughts that Henry didn't want to tell his family where he was because this cousin could have gotten the information back to Davis. But he would have told his parents. That's that's his his brothers and sisters and his parents were all like, no, he would have he would have kept in contact with us. Davis was never charged with Henry's disappearance as he had an alibi that his mother corroborated. In one article I read, it was there was some suspicion he was actually living in Louisiana the night that Henry died or disappeared. But I don't know. That one, that one was kind of a weird, like, what? It yeah. just came out of nowhere. But he did. Davis did spend six months in jail for the robbery, for the original robbery of Henry's apartment. He's believed to be alive and well and living in Tulsa. So, okay. So he's fine. The MSU Black Alumni Association and Professor Carl Taylor have set up a scholarship in Henry's name. At the 40th reunion, an internet site set up to connect classmates allegedly received a message that said, I used to be Henry Baltimore. His sisters Laurel and Yvonne tried to find this and like the history of it and find out who sent it and stuff like that, but they had no luck. So it might have been just someone playing a sick joke or yeah. it might not have never existed and someone just threw out that idea of a rumor. It's, it's yeah, just Yeah, that gross. just sounds like... Yeah. Henry's father, mother, and two of his brothers have passed, but siblings are still looking for him as his body, and he's never been find, found. That's interesting. It is East Lansing's co- oldest cold case. Wow. Hmm. So they don't know if he died or not. They don't. Like, he, I think one of the articles I read, um, he would be in his 60s now or so, 50s, 60s. The idea that he's still alive would surprise me at this point. It would surprise me in the fact that he had so many people who were his support system. Yeah. To just leave that because this one dude scares you, that seems a little much. My personal theory is that I think, well, I I mean, I obviously think it's one of two things. One, Roy Davis got him that night and and just did away with him and found some place to to stash the body where nobody would find it. Or two, he did go into hiding maybe for a few days, but then Roy Davis found him and did the same thing. So either way, I think Roy Davis is is responsible. The only thing is, is the fact that he's never been, he's never been charged with it. Um, Henry's DNA has been entered into CODIS. So they have it if, he, if a body should ever show up. Right. Um, but <clears throat> as of right now, the, there's no leads. There's no one working on the cold case either, um. which the family is, is kind of upset about a lot. And 
you know, I mean, it's really not my place to use the race card, but there are thoughts that the reason they didn't do it in the 70s was because he was this young black guy. But, well, we all know how we feel about that. Like, I think that's bullshit either way. He could be a drug-addled, strung-out hobo young black guy, and I'd still want his case solved. Right. And this one was a, a, you know, an exemplary individual who was just working to become a social worker and was and already had some fame for being this like first major drum major in, at a university and well that could have worked against him so then with no other context or what have you well i guess you've already kind of given it. i was about to say do you think he's still missing or is dead and i'm i kind I, of agree with what you said though like it's i think he's probably passed yeah, yeah i think he was murdered and they just found a way to eliminate him in a way that nobody could find him which, from what they say, is very difficult. Right, but in the 70s, it would have been easier. Mm. So that's part of it, too. Now, I mean, the whole search for Gabby... Petito. Petito, and now Laundry or whatever, they keep on finding bodies. That's true. It's weird, right? Yeah. But on the same thing, we have that poor little boy from Indiana, the five-year-old, who just up and vanished, and they haven't found him yet. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like... But it's so that's the thing, is that they keep on finding bodies, but they're like, well, this isn't the person we're looking for. We don't know where this is coming from. We have to figure out who this person is now. Yeah. And they did the same thing where they were looking for someone who was lost in the Grand Canyon, and they found a dead body, and they don't know who it's... I mean, like, that's somebody who somebody has reported missing. Right. And in Henry's case, his, his living siblings are still looking for him. Like, they have a... You can go online, and you can find a phone... Uh, a phone line that you can call if you have any tips or ideas and stuff like that, or if you know anything. That there was some criticism of the police work done in Flint, like they didn't do enough work in Flint, and they think that might have been where he ended up. So there's there's that, and then the documentary I watched was a student made one from the the kids at MSU. They made a they made a documentary about Henry Baltimore, and it's 25 minutes. It's very easy to watch on YouTube, and it's sad as hell because he was a bright star and. This should not have happened to him. No. So, it's a mess. And again, it is that weird, just people vanishing. Yeah. Like You like to do those stories. I know, because they, they do confound me as far as like, I don't know, it's it's weird for me to think that there's still so much of the world that's been, that's that's hidden from us, I guess. Or like, you can't find people. Yeah, like, I, I feel get, all people should be able to be found. Like, children, like smaller children... You know, you go two years and that kid looks completely different. Right. But like an, an adult or whatever, that's, it seems like weird that people aren't seeing them. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I, I, I would think it would be hard to hide a body, but I could be wrong. I just think you lack imagination. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> so. Um, do you want to do sources? Yes, let's do sources. Of course, my sources are The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mine were thecharlieproject.com, the Claremont Sun, MLive.com. I think the M stands for Michigan. And the documentary, if you'd like to watch it, is on whathappentohenry.com. So there you go. Glad I could bring us down from Lord of the Rings <laughs> with a very sad story. So we had an argument about an imaginary man. Mm-hmm. Creature. Creature. And then uh, Rachel brought... Rachel, really, you're just bringing us down all together. I am. I am. That's what I'm here for. I'm sorry. You're not invited to brunch anymore. Well, I'll be back here next Sunday, so you can't stop me. But as for Murder Brunch, we're calling it a day, so join us next time. Oh, you can find us on one of our socials at Murder Brunch. Maybe we should start that again. (laughs) You can find us on... Actually, yes. 
reach out to us. Tell us what you think about Smeagol and whether he's <laughs> evil and whether the ring is a person or a drug. Category three. You can find us at all of our socials at Murder Brunch something on Instagram, Twitter. No, I mean, that's that's literally it. We're all at Murder Brunch podcast or Murder Brunch something. Facebook, Twitter, Murder Brunch Bunch at gmail.com and murderbrunchbunch.com is where our podcast website is at the moment. We're streaming on all your services. And if we're not, let us know and we'll put it, our podcast on it. Also find us on Patreon. Yes. Pa- I always forget Patreon. Patreon, $5 a month. You get our drink recipes, extra photos, some sound bites that don't make it into the podcast, and an extra story from your very own Clinton. Me. And he does some really fun ones. So definitely worth a look. And join us next time for... More mayhem. More murder. More snacks. Bye. Bye.